It is the Sprout, and this is our uh, first episode back with Mari. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so I guess we're going to celebrate the Sprout. Today. <laughs> yeah, with uh, with stories from childhood. And because we have wonderful Loretta here, Yay. we are going to talk about children's books and Yay. stories from our childhood. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much, Loretta, for being an awesome guest host this whole time. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. And we will definitely, definitely have to have you back a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Claire. And I'm Mari. And I'm Loretta. And together we are the hosts of the Yellow Ranger Fan Club, a monthly culture podcast about being female, Asian, and dorky. Yay! We are back from the summer. (laughs) It's been so long. We missed everyone. And dorkier than ever. (laughs) (laughs) I know we had like a whole summer to like simmer in our dorkiness with no uh, outlet. What have we done with kind of our time off? I had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that kind of just like trumps everything. (laughs) Yeah, I I had a human being cut out of me. (laughs) So maybe that's too graphic. Maybe we should cut that. (laughs) I mean, it is is what it is. Uh, so for me, I adopted another cat. So we officially have more cats in the household than people. So we have reached crazy cat people. Is that the benchmark for like when you have two men- more cats than humans? That is crazy cat level. Um, I think so. At least that's how I'm defining it. That's how other people have defined it too. <laughs> but it's furry and lovely and wonderful and cuddly. <laughs> if one of them pops up, I'll show them. Mallow, she's the new kitten. She really likes sleeping on the cat bed here. And she'll like squeak at me for me to let her up. So if she comes and squeaks at me, I'll, sh- I'll show you guys. She's super cute. She's like a Siamese tabby mix. Oh, she is so cute. Oh my God. I mean, I don't think she trumps your uh, the sprout, but <laughs> <laughs> the sprout is just have so you, cute. How long has she been with you guys? End of May. So she's like really settled in and comfortable. Mm-hmm. She's about four months old now, maybe five, four or oh. five. So she's the same age as Sprout. <laughs> yeah, they're going to grow up together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I don't have any new beings in my life. Although I did get some more plants. So. Oh, that counts. counts. Yeah, I think that counts. Yeah. Okay. But today's episode is in honor of Sprout. So we are going to talk about lovely children's books and folk tales and stories from our childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to kick it off. Like, what was your favorite story as a kid? Ooh, when I was a kid, I loved the boxcar children. Just oh, love, love, yeah. love them when I was really little. Yeah. Was, I just, I had a ton of them. Just love the boxcar children. I don't know. I was really weird and I really liked older books. So like Anna Green Gables and Jack London and like, I don't know. I was a weird kid. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's that weird, right? They're classics for a reason. Like, I love Boxcar Children. I also remember when the art changed from the first book to, like, the second book. Oh, did it? The art changed because it used to be, like, silhouettes. And then they, like, mm. changed it to actual features. I think I had a little bit of a crush on Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've actually read Boxcar Children. I think I've always seen the books, but they just didn't particularly um, catch my attention. I loved Animorphs. That was my jam growing up. 
Like, whenever they had the Scholastic Fair, I would always buy whatever newest Animorphs books there was. <laughs> oh, the Scholastic Fair. Oh my god, do they still have those? No, I don't think so. Oh, I used to love those. The Scholastic Book Fair at our middle school, do you remember? And it was in the school library, and it was just so amazing. <laughs> It was like everything that like you could have ever wanted as yeah. a kid, right? It's got like the stationaries, it's got stickers, it's got books. I only remember the books part, I'll be honest, and just like some of like the display tables, but I just remember like the books and like animorphs and I was so excited. <laughs> and I like beg. I was like, can we buy this one? And then they come with the catalogs and then you like mm-hmm, read mm-hmm. the stories and I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And like my elementary school, I went to a few different elementary schools, but like I still remember distinctly like one of the catalogs that had like book 33 or 34 of Animorphs. Yeah, so like I think I think it was just like a part of me that just really loved these underdogs who are just um, fighting against these aliens. And like you would never know like if these aliens like who they were, they could be your best friend. <gasps> Claire, are you secretly controlled by an alien? <laughs> I don't know. Like, would I know if I'm an alien? Right? I don't know. I like. I think it was just like the the like child me just enjoyed this idea of just like the suspense and like, oh my gosh, you have to be like on your guard right. and everything. And yeah, so I can't imagine if that would actually induce anxiety in children. Like, welcome to adulthood, in which you are always constantly kind of anxious about things because <laughs> you will never know what other people are thinking. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a really well written series overall. Like, I know most of I I know most of it was ghost written, but like in terms of like how it handled like PTSD, trauma, and everything, it was actually it was. I think it was really well handled for a children's series. So oh, wow, my plug for like my favorite series mm-hmm. was the Bailey School Kids. I remember that. Do you that. guys remember those? So, I do. Okay, so they came around 90s to 2000s, basically. Yeah. And they were like, vampires don't wear polka dots. Or like, werewolves don't go to summer camp. Like, stories like that. Yes, and, I remember that. And the other one that I really loved was um, Series of Unfortunate Events. Mm. And that came out when we were a little bit older. I think I remember you reading that one. I had all 13 books. That was definitely like the thing I looked for in the the scholastic book fairs. Like mm-hmm. if they had a series of unfortunate events, I always wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out in 1999, by the way, and then it ended in 2006. So almost by the time we like graduated from high school. One of my favorite parts about it is like not just the story itself, but like all the really weird words that and like vocabulary that they incorporated into uh, the book mm-hmm. and I remember like reading them and then when we started studying for the SATs I was, like, <laughs> I was like oh yeah like I know those vocabulary words because in book three this thing happened um, I really love that it tackled ambiguity in morals and ethics right like what does that mean and mm-hmm. the way that they introduced it to kids, it treats them as intelligent beings with their own ideas and ways of formulating their morals and ethics basis. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have to ask, though, does it actually have, like, sad endings at the end of each book? Because that was what deterred me yeah. from the book. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely dark. It's not, mm-hmm. it, and I think it, that's one of the things that I really loved about it, too, was that... It doesn't prescribe to the fact that all children's books have to end happily ever after. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that just means that I'm a really dark kid, but like, <laughs> <laughs> or like a very weird and macabre child. Um, but yeah, like that's kind of what I loved about it because I realized like, like even though it didn't end always like the way we wanted to, and it's a series of disappointments, ultimately mm -hmm. they were able to rise up and address those challenges, even though honestly it sucked and the adults in their lives sucked. I had that same experience where it was like, oh my gosh, things don't have to have a happy ending and they don't have, things don't always go the way you want them to. When I read The Pearl by mm. Steinbeck, that was like the mm. first time, because my parents gave it to me when I was in elementary school to read. And I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, books can be like this. <laughs> and it like changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely had that thought, right? But I think uh, The Sprout is a little bit too young for that, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I have to um, give my mom a shout out here because she kept a lot of um, picture books that she had, that she got for um, myself and my sister. And oh my gosh, you know, when I was a kid or when we were kids, I'm a little older than you guys, but um, it was harder to find you know, uh, diverse books. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. The library my mom put together for us. It was, it had so much diversity, like folk tales from all over the place, like Hawaiian folk tales, Japanese folk tales, like, um, African folk tales. I mean, she worked to find these books mm -hmm. and she did an amazing job. So now I have like all these great books for the sprout. <laughs> I love it. Best. I love it. I think, um, you know, when my sister was growing up, um, like her books are a lot of animal books, like mm -hmm. a lot of animal based characters. And I think part of it too is like a challenge. Uh, maybe unconsciously or consciously, my mom was like, well, you know, it's a lot of whiteness in <laughs> some of these books. Yeah. And so, you know, Animals for everyone. I was actually going through my notes um, last night and I realized like a non, like there's a significant portion of my favorite childhood, like picture books were based off of mice. Okay. So um, in 2015, so this is a little older statistic, but um, the Cooperative Children's Book Center, AKA CCBC, which is part of the School of Education of University of Wisconsin-Madison, they kind of did a survey to kind of see like, well, what is the diversity in picture books? And based on the 2015 one, um, the books, it was 0.9% American Indians slash First Nations, 2.4% Latinx, 3.3% Asian Pacifics, Asian Pacific Americans, 7.6% African or African Americans, and then 12.5% animals, trucks and then 73.3% were white characters and about um, a quarter of the total children's books published in 2015 were, were, bleh, were picture books and about half of those depict non-human characters like animals and trucks so the remainder would depict white characters so diversity oh, wow. <laughs> so it's getting better but it's mm -hmm. not a significant gain this was also like six years ago. So, and I think there definitely has been um, an increase in publishing just diverse characters. Um, there is a movement that is called um, We Need Diverse Books. I believe they no longer use that term anymore. 
um, I don't remember exactly what they use right now, but there has been like just a lot of really great books that have come out recently. That's awesome. Ooh, a plug for a book that I really like. Um, it's a picture book and it's Anti-Racist Baby. Oh, I see that one. one. Yeah, it's it's really well written and it's just beautifully illustrated. So, yeah. That's so awesome. Well, should we do a little bit of story time and recommendation from our resident librarian? (laughs) Sure. Yes, please. Okay, so um, some of the books I wanted to really talk about, and you guys might have seen them on social media or anything. Um, I'm going to talk about So mine are kind of focused on the East Asian experience because that was what I had more personal experience with. Um, And there are a lot of really great, wonderful um, other picture books that feature, um, you know, people from all over the world. But just disclaimer, these are the ones that really spoke to me because they spoke to my experience. Um, So one of them is called Amy Wu and the Perfect Bao, which is um, if you've seen, uh, what was the one Pixar movie that had Bao? in the as a short I think it's just called Bao no 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 um, there was a Pixar short that was called Bao yeah yeah so I don't remember which movie it came with but basic yeah was it Coco I don't remember no I don't think it was Coco I was gonna say is it Big Hero 6 it might have been Big Hero 6 I don't know but it's the one that uh, give, that Mari is afraid of <laughs> I feel like it came out in like 2000. 18. 18, right? Yeah. Incredibles um, 2. Oh, Incredibles 2. Thank you. And um, it's about this little girl who, um, if you have ever made dumplings at home, like as a child, you probably struggled with like proportions and like how much meat do you put? How much filling do you put in? Do you put too much? Do you put too little? Like, how do you fold it? And I was just like, oh, this book is just so beautifully illustrated. Um, it's by Kat Zhang and it's illustrated by um, Charlene Chua, I think. Um, is how you pronounce it. It's C-H-U-A. And it's just this... And it's a series, too. There's another one called Amy Bao and the Patchwork Dragon. Um, but the one that I really liked was Amy Wu and the Perfect Bao. <laughs> and it's how she's, like, making these baozi with... Or, like, bao with her um, her family. And she's like, sets up this entire, like, this is how you do the Perfect Bao. And, like, you can just see just, like, little pictures of how, like, the first few, like, like she just keeps making some... They're like they're too like lopsided, <laughs> or like there's too much filling, so the filling's coming out, and then there's not enough filling, so it's just a beautifully illustrated book, and it's so cute. Um, <laughs> another one that I really like is called the Neon Monster, and it's sort of like, have you read that one, Claire? You might have shown me, but um, you know that is a folklore from when yes, we, like that I loved, mm-hmm. like as a kid, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is like a newer book, right? Yes, it is a modern version yeah. of um, the um, Neon Monster. And it's about this little girl who, um, she, this Neon Monster is coming down to the city that she lives in. And like the illustrations are beautiful. They're like eye-catching. And um, basically what happens is like she keeps giving this Neon Monster food and the Neon Monster eats it and it comes back and then... <laughs> And it's just back and forth, and they keep doing the actual, the actual parts of the legend that originally happened, and it's 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 like updated, and just the art is so cute. There's so many like just little details. Every time you read it again, you see something new, um, and it's written by Andrea Wang, and it's illustrated by Alina Chow. 
So another one that I wanted to talk about that um, has gotten a lot of attention this year is called Eyes That Kiss in the Corner. And it's basically like a love story to uh, monolid, people with monolids, because, um, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, I mean, I have the double lids, but <laughs> so I can't really speak to this part. But um, I always see a lot of just like conversation going on about creating the double lid because it looks quote-unquote more attractive and Isaac Kiss in the Corner is really just a love story to um, people with monolids <laughs> um, and it's by Joanna Ho and is illustrated by Dung Ho so it's a really cute book um, I also recommend that one and the illustrations are gorgeous and some of the illustrations actually kind of remind me of Mulan like the cartoon um, especially like I think it's the grandmother. Also, it also sort of reminds me of that too. And it's so cute. <laughs> I love it. Another one that I really liked as a kid was called... So this is one is an older one. This is not one that came up more recently. But it's called Tea with Milk by Alan Say. And it's about um, a man who... Um, his mother's Japanese. And she grew up in the US for her first, I think, 16 years. And um, she goes back to Japan, and um, this is back in, I think, the, ooh, the 1920s, 1930s, I think? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But, like, that's what I like about it, is this is just this very timeless story. Um, and basically, she goes back to Japan, she doesn't really speak much Japanese, but so she's put in, I think, a class with, like, elementary school students or something, um, and she just feels very, like, out of place. Her mother wants her to get married, but she decides to kind of just leave <laughs> and she starts working. And then one day, like they, there's these um, foreign bank management, I guess, who come to Japan at the mall. And then she's able to like you know, kind of act as a translator. It's just this really cute kind of like, even though she is originally from Japan, but she lived in the US for so long, but she goes back to Japan. But like, it's kind of like, where do I belong? And, um, the book is called Tea with Milk because she likes to take her tea with milk. And she finds out that this other, this man who becomes her husband is also has like a very similar background and he also likes his tea with milk. <laughs> I think I have that one. It's really cute. It's a picture book, right? Yeah, they're all picture books. They're beautiful. <laughs> so... Mari, you mentioned that your mom put together a lovely library of diverse books. From way back when, from my childhood. Yeah, what are some of your favorites from then? Ooh, so one that I really liked was, I think it's called Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. <gasps> we were just talking about this. And it is just so stunning, that book. It's beautiful. This is actually a perfect segue into talking about the same story, but in different cultural contexts, right? Because Mafaro's Beautiful Daughter is a Cinderella story, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, um, you know, the rough face girls and like the same sort of context in many diverse backgrounds. Like that's so beautiful to show like mm -hmm. how, how universal these stories are really. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned rough face girls. I've never heard that term before. The rough face girl, which is another book by, of Cinderella background by Rafe Martin, is um, an Algonquin Indian folklore. Mm, okay. And it's yeah, it's basically a Cinderella story, and it's oh, just cool. so gorgeously illustrated. 
I will say that the cover is a little bit scary because it does look very reminiscent of like modern horror movie film posters, but the actual story and like the inside illustration is just absolutely beautiful. And uh, we also talked about Yeshin, which is uh, published in 1996, which is a Cinderella story from China. And um, instead of, you know, a a fairy godmother, it's a magical fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's basically kind of the same sort of folk tale, fantasy, you know, princess, all of that. Mm -hmm. lovely like stories and i just love that yeah there's also um do you remember reading the egyptian cinderella yes with the golden sandals too yes yeah yeah yeah. that one is beautiful the art for that was just gorgeous um and that one is retold by folklorist shirley claymo um and i also remember reading the golden sandal which is a middle eastern cinderella story and that one also has a fish in it <laughs> it's a red fish <laughs> um I'm trying to remember oh and i remember the korean cinderella too mm. did you remember did you read that one yes i think so too yeah yeah basically like- <laughs> i think our our library just had a lot of cinderella stories from a lot of mm-hmm. diverse background because i mean i think that's probably one of the like because it's such a universal story and you just have so many representation and diversity in that story itself. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it's always about this girl who's been orphaned, but her kindness or just something about her attracts, you know, better fortune. <laughs> like she, she doesn't, it's kind of like you get your happy ending because you're a good person. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Mm hmm. Mari, before we went off on that tangent, what are some of the other books your mom had collected? Oh, so I just read one to the Sprout the other day, which is called Jumping Mouse. (gasps) I was just talking about Jumping Mouse with her, too. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's really cute. And, you know, there was a magic frog in that one. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, and then, oh, what else? And then um, there was the My Grandfather's Ship. That one was in there, and... um, Sadako's Thousand Paper Cranes. Oh, I remember reading that one too. Yeah. Yeah, that one was in there. And then, and the birds appeared. I think that one was in there. That's a Hawaiian folktale. And yeah, just all these books that I don't know how my mom found them. (laughs) I asked her, I was like, where did you find all this? She's like, I don't remember. But I mean, it worked really hard to put together a really diverse library for us when we were little. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love it. That's that's amazing. Like, I think speaking of stories with like not happy endings, right? Like Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a like <laughs> a uh, well, things aren't going to go very well for her at the end. But yeah. it also like. It's also one of those books that I think in the U.S. education system, it opens up the conversation about radiation and, like, atrocities from World War II. Yeah. And it does it in a very humanizing way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a, a book that I think was really life-changing for me. Also, it taught me how to make origami cranes. <laughs> I think to this day, that's like one of the few things that I could make. I don't know how to make anything else. (laughs) 
Oh, man. Well, it actually feels like we started going into the folklore territory, right? And so I really wanted to do a quick shout out of a folklore that I've been um, really obsessed with. And this is like one of my favorite books as a kid. It's called The Mouse's Bride by Monica Chang in 1992. Mm -hmm. And it has just the most gorgeous illustration. It's a bright red cover. And it's got like a little mouse, like in full like Chinese bridal regalia. And it's a story of, um, and one of the best part about this book is that it is bilingual. So mm-hmm. growing up, it was, you know, half in Chinese and half in English. And well, the same stories, but translated on, um, you know, next lines over. And it's been translated to many, many different languages. Um, but my favorite part about this book was that it was just gorgeous illustration and it basically tells the story of finding strength no matter where um and it's like this mouse chief mouse trying to find the strongest husband for um strongest husband for his you know beautiful daughter the mouse bride and um you know he's talking to the sun talking to the clouds and then at the end finding that the mice is just as strong as all the other larger animals and beings and it's just beautifully illustrated i think there's a japanese version of that story too because i remember reading that one and they talked to the clouds and like the stone wall and like all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So speaking of like folklores from the Japanese culture, I really, really want to talk about what made me really happy that this last month was the mm-hmm. Google Doodle for <laughs> the Olympics. Have you seen it? I didn't I see have. it. Oh my gosh. So it's basically like an RPG game played on Doodle. Um, and it tells the Japanese folklore from 47 different prefectures. Oh. And with characters including Momotaro and Urashima Taro. Um, and it's just the most amazing Google Doodle. Like, I spent two hours playing, <laughs> I kid you not, um, yesterday. Like, Jason was just like, are you supposed to be doing research? And I was like, this is research! <laughs> <laughs> because it just covered so much great stories and, like, you know, the characters that, and introducing it to an audience that might not be as familiar with these uh, folkloric characters from the Japanese um, heritage. Mm-hmm. 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 I did have a book when I was a kid that I still love, and it um, it is in English, and it has like all these little Japanese folk tales in it, mm-hmm. and it's it's really cute. <laughs> but yeah, like Momotaro is one that just yeah I grew up with, and like. My grandmother used to sing me the song and <laughs> all that. Yeah, and like I think in the in the game Momotaro. So in the original folklore, Momotaro has like adventures with ogres or onis, right? Like he's trying to rescue a princess from the ogre onis, and then in this game, he's playing rugby against onis with his friends, and it's like the friends from his stories are like his teammates. Oh, cute. That's really cute. Yeah. One of the favorite stories I had um, from the Japanese, from from kind of like Japanese folklore tradition, and it's also like reflected in Chinese folklore, is Urashima Taro, who is basically 
when you're reading the Wikipedia, it's like, it's the Japanese Rip Van Winkle, but mm-hmm. Urashima Taro dates back to the 8th century, and Rip Van Winkle is from 1819 book story by Washington Irving. So really, Rip mm-hmm. Van Winkle is the American Urashima Taro. <laughs> but um, it tells the story of somebody who, like, rescues a turtle and then, like, gets taken into this underwater palace, right? <gasps> and he... Um, is in and he like the turtle turns out to be the the daughter of the sea king right and they like of course he rescues her they they get married etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's only there for three days but when he comes back and he was like oh i should probably tell my mom he realizes it's you know been 300 years Aww. and he's given this little box um before he left as a wedding present and he was like so so distraught when he came back up to the land he opens the box and he suddenly becomes old and that box had hold his humanity or like his old age mm. and it's this story that i think is also told in various forms across different cultures um i don't know what the moral of those stories are other than like don't open boxes or don't follow turtles into under the water like <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's these sort of stories that I think really help creates the discourse across, you know, different ethnic backgrounds and saying like, hey, um, <laughs> your story. Yeah, commonalities and I'm sharing like that. And and just this Google Doodle was like the best thing ever. <laughs> That's so cool. There's this um, one idea that we try to follow at the library, which is that um, people need mirrors and windows so mirrors are basically stories that reflect your own life experiences and windows are stories that allow you to see into other people's life experiences <laughs> that's beautiful. It's a really interesting it. yeah it's a really interesting um kind of idea to kind of um you know just show like you know even though we come from different backgrounds we have many similar threads that are that tie us all together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is enough stories and recommendations that, you know, Mari, you can take and, and uh, see how, how our recommendations uh, are received by the actual connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think she'll like them. And I mean, having a really diverse library is super important. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mirrors and windows. I think that's so true. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't wait to see, you know, the kind of books that will come in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Reflecting more and more diversity mm-hmm. and so, so exciting. Like we are at a really interesting time in terms of children's stories and young adult novels. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, with that, (laughs) thanks everyone for coming to this meeting. Please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter as YRFC Podcast and Instagram as Yellow Ranger Fan Club. Email us your thoughts and feelings at yellowrangerfanclub at gmail.com. Subscribe to us so you can keep up to date and we'll let you know about new episodes before we tell our moms. Um, That's it. And read on. Mm